Welcome to the Victory Family Worship Center podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thevictory.tv at gmail.com. We're going to discuss the upcoming election. Now, I'm going to do my best to present a biblical and historical perspective on the issues of our day and on the candidates themselves. So before you get mad at me and tune me out, hear me out. Let me say a few things before I begin, okay? First, if you disagree with anything I say, this is America, okay? This is America. I will defend your right to disagree with me, and I hope you will defend my right to say what I'm going to say. So this is America. Everybody say, this is America, okay? The young people say, America. Yeah. So just like we have people today here from all kinds of different denominational backgrounds, and um, we also probably have some people from different political views and point of views. Listen, everybody's welcome here today, but at the same time, I'm not going to compromise my calling and compromise this pulpit to appease anybody today, okay? Um, We're live. I hope we're live. I think we're live. Um, I don't know what's going on, but um, I'm going to lay it all out today because I fear God more than I fear people. And some of you might fault me for today's message. That's okay. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And so we're going to get going. Um, it may sound like I might be angry today. It sound, may sound like I might be mad today. Um, it's just righteous indignation. Jesus had righteous indignation as well. Uh, um, I, I'm, listen, I'm angry with the spiritual forces of evil that have hijacked the hearts and the minds of the people in America and the, and the spiritual forces that, that, are, that are making an effort to capture the soul of America. I'm, I'm angry with the demonic principalities and, de- and demonic forces that have influenced our millennial generation, our generation Xers, our generational Zers, with godless philosophies and the doctrines of men. I'm angry at those. I'm angry with the politicians who are either knowingly or unknowingly pawns of darkness instead of agents of light. Um, who are advancing godless agendas and to destroy in our great nation. Y'all can say amen throughout this service because it's going to get, we're going to get into it. So listen, I can't be silent anymore. I'm not going to be silent anymore. Um, America needs to wake up. The church needs to wake up. Christians need to wake up. And it starts with the church of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Um, we need to wake up. As Christians, we need to wake up and understand this isn't, we're in a battle, this is a war, and this is not a game. And so we're facing a spiritual battle right now for the heart and soul of America and for the heart and soul of our next generation. That's what's happening right now. That's, the stakes couldn't be any more higher right now. Um, I have never felt as passionate for and concerned about America as I am right now. Um, we as a church of Jesus Christ are the restraining forces for the world today against evil. And so it, we've got to own up to that responsibility. We, while we are proud Americans, I hope all of you are proud Americans to live in a great country. But for, for those of you um, who are followers of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that we have a deeper loyalty and a higher calling to just the President of the United States. We have something, we answer to a way higher calling. But for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, listen, I hope you feel welcomed in the love today. 
Um, we're going to lay out the gospel in a, in, a, in a very different way. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a disciple, if you wear the t-shirt that says, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're not just an American, you are an ambassador from heaven. Do you all understand that? We are all ambassadors from heaven. You might be asking, well, what's an ambassador from heaven? Where do you get that idea? I get it out of the scripture when Paul said this in Corinthians 5.17. He said, God has committed to us. Okay, who is us? Committed to who? Committed to us. To us, the church, the believers, uh, the, the followers of Jesus Christ. Paul said, God has committed to us. He has given us the message of reconciliation. If America is going to be reconciled, if if this side and this side is going to be reconciled. It's going to be because it's because of the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, the ambassadors from heaven, because we have the message of reconciliation. That's your message. That's my message. And that's our message. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, I don't put this off on you. If you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, because you're just you're going to be there, but you're not there. You're it's our responsible as disciples. We are Christ ambassadors. Um, as though God himself is making an appeal through us. Because you know what an ambassador is. Everybody know what, if you don't know what an ambassador is, an ambassador is the highest ranking diplomat sent to represent one nation to another nation. In other words, America has ambassadors all over. We have ambassadors to Germany, ambassadors to Israel, ambassadors to, to, to Russia, ambassadors to China. We have, they represent our country to another country, and, and other countries have ambassadors as well. It's the highest-ranking diplomats uh, sent on behalf of a country. And God calls us ambassadors. He said, you are the highest ranking, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the highest ranking diplomat sent by God from heaven to earth to represent me. It's quiet in here, but it's going to get quieter. <laughs> um, if the ambassadors of the church of Jesus Christ don't rise up and fight the good fight of faith, who is going to do it? Who is going to do it? Who's going to do it? <laughs> if we relinquish that responsibility as ambassadors of Jesus Christ and as agents of truth, evil is going to triumph. Do y'all get that today? Evil is going to triumph. Edmund Burke said this, and I quote him. He said, the only thing necessary for the tri triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. So I can't remain silent today. I'm not going to remain silent today. I've got brothers that are, that are standing up in pulpits today across America sounding the trumpet, and I'm going to do the same, and neither should you remain silent. To remain silent is evil. Here's what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said. He's a pastor in Germany, um, and he was a pastor during the time against the German resistance, and they opposed the Nazi Germany. Uh, you know, when, and so he said this, Bonhoeffer said this, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. And God will not hold us guiltless. He said, not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. And if you know anything about Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he was executed in 1945 at the age of 39 by Nazi Germany. Watch this video. Were these men of God throughout history being too political? 1450 B.C., 
Moses petitioned Pharaoh for the liberty of God's people, even calling down consequences when the king failed to comply. 870 BC, Elijah, in the name of the Lord, he challenged King Ahab and his advisors for their ungodly policies and practices. 29 AD, should John the Baptist have kept quiet rather than confronting King Herod about his immoral lifestyle, even though it cost him his ministry and even his life? 30 AD, when Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Was Jesus too political when he replied, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. 31 AD, were Peter and John getting political when they publicly refused to comply with the governing authorities who told them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus? 54 AD, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus in such a way that it totally disrupted both business and politics in the region. 1775, in early America, would you have joined Pastor Jonas Clark in Lexington, Massachusetts, when he led his church and community to form a militia and face the British in the war for independence? 1830. Be holy as God is holy. How political was Second Great Awakening preacher Charles Finney when he passionately called for an end to slavery from the pulpit? 1954. Was separation of church and state being honored when Dr. George McPherson Dougherty preached a sermon that convinced President Eisenhower to include under God in our Pledge of Allegiance? 1963. I have a dream. What about the civil disobedience of Baptist minister, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who led civil rights marches, giving his life for the cause? Were all of these men of God being too political, or were they just being biblical? Let's start with some scripture. If you have your Bibles, open up to Jeremy, Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremy, I don't know where that came from. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 and 19. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear, you earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. Uh, um, can I tell you something, folks? America is at a crossroads today. America's at a crossroads, November 3rd. We're at a crossroads. And there's great men and women that are sounding the trumpets on this Sunday morning so that we can recognize the importance of standing at this crossroads. We're looking and asking and telling people, asking for the ancient paths telling people to choose the ancient paths. What is the ancient paths referring to? It's the ancient truths of God that are timeless. Um, we need to look for the good way. We need to look uh, and walk in that good way, the Lord says, because if we do that, we'll find rest for our souls. 
We'll, have, we'll find rest for this great nation of America. If Christians will rise to the occasion and ask what the good way is and present the good way and walk in it, if Christians will set the example and lead by example and lead the way and intercede in prayer, because if we don't, God, God says in the rest of the text that he'll bring disaster on the people. And I know we're not responsible for the whole world. Um, you know, we're just one congregation in Freona, Texas. But collectively, if the body of Christ, if our country will get their act together and the body of Christ will get their act together and serve God and honor God and do what's right, especially in this election cycle, then perhaps once again, God will find nurse mercy on our great nation. And my hope is then that what we're praying for is we'll find rest for the soul of America. And if you still think I'm out of line today, um, you simply don't understand the severity of what's taking place in America right now. That's why I'm so indignant about this. Some of you may be thinking to yourself, "Ah, I'm so sick of hearing about the election. Pastors should refrain from teaching politics in the pulpit. I've heard all that. Uh, don't, Don't turn the pulpit into a political platform. Some would even say Christians shouldn't even concern ourselves with politics at all. So you mean to tell me we're supposed to integrate our faith into every aspect of life except government politics? I guarantee you, uh, Omar, uh, whatever her name, AOC, she integrates her faith into our politics. I guarantee you Rashid Talib integrates her faith into our politics. In fact... This is just really going to rub people wrong here today uh, when we go live. Joe Biden publicly declared just not so long ago that he will be uh, adding Muslims to his administration. Listen to yourself and hear him quote out of the Quran. I will end the Muslim ban on day one. Day one. Hadith from the Prophet Muhammad instructs, Whomever among you sees a wrong, Let him change it with his hand. If he is not able, then with his tongue. If he is not able, then with his heart. Make no mistake, people. 2020 is our year. Let's dive into it with 2020 vision. We can see clearly that America is fighting for its very soul. We we all come from the same root here in terms of our fundamental basic beliefs. And uh, I just want to thank you for... uh, for giving me the opportunity, for being engaged, for committing uh, to action this November. It matters. Your voice, your voice is your vote. Your vote is your voice. Muslim Americans' voices matter. I'll be a president who seeks out, listens to, and incorporates the ideas and concerns of Muslim Americans on everyday issues that matter most to our communities. That will include having Muslim American voices as part of my administration. But getting out the vote, getting our families out to vote, getting our elderly out to vote, getting our masjids out to vote, getting our neighborhoods out to vote. So let's do our part and join the largest Muslim voter mobilization in America, the Million Muslim Votes Campaign. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's make our voices heard. Because we got the news, we got the numbers, and we got the power. That's what we're fighting against, folks. 
Christians, if, if we want to keep our religious freedom, if we want to protect our First Amendment, and, and we want, listen, we want the First Amendment to apply to all faiths, because this is America, right? This is the great America that our founding fathers, they structured this, 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 this format so that we could all have the, the, the freedom of religion. Our founding fathers paved the way so everybody could have the freedom to worship in the United States of America. Um, but So as Christians, if you believe the the lie that faith and politics don't mix and that pastors should stay out of politics because it's just so decisive, uh, then your apathy and your reluctance, are your act- by your apathy and your reluctance, you're actually helping the doctrine of other, other world religions right now. And so uh, secular humanism, their influence in America right now, they're trying to overtake America rather than advancing Christian values and virtues the way this country was founded. Other religions in America, they're not asleep. They're not asleep. The Muslim nation, they're not asleep. They have an agenda and it's time for American Christians to wake up and start being who we've called to be, who God has called us to be. The American church has let the spirit of fear creep into the church. And so we just, and it's kept the American church silent because we don't want to offend anybody and we just want to be politically correct. And so, you know, when I first got into the ministry, listen, I tried to listen to people. People tell me, you know what, Pastor, you should, don't bow down, just, you, 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 you got to be politically correct when you're in the pulpit, you know. Uh, you don't, don't intermingle your faith and your politics. And, and then I started doing some research, and I discovered, you know what? That's not the case, because as far back as the American colonies, when the American colonies were founded, pastors were boldly speaking out on social issues of the day. And they, were, they, they even called out politicians who were running for the very office that year. Pastors would deliver what they would call election sermons. For the first 200 years, kind of like I'm doing today, they were election sermons, and, and they, would, they would preach these sermons, and pastor would get, pastors would get behind pulpits in, in the early America, and they would talk to their congregations about the social issues, and they would call out politicians. Pastors did this because they didn't want their, fo- they didn't want their folks to, they, they wanted their folks to be biblically literate. And they wanted them to understand what was going on. And they wanted them to be able to make an intelligent decision through the lens of the Bible on social issues and about political candidates. And the candidates in, that, in the early America, they either did or did not align with the Bible, which is the source of all truth, and that's how the people voted. The candidate's personality did make a difference to the early church. They didn't give a rip about your personality. It was, you know, they were concerned about social issues and policies. The question was, do these policies line up with my biblical moral values? That was the issue of the day. God has been at the center of religious freedom and faith and politics uh, since the beginning of time. They've been intertwined from the very beginning and the founding of our nation in 1776. They were even pinned in the Declaration of Independence. Um, listen to, I'm going to read some of the excerpts from the Declaration of Independence. Listen to the references to God. It starts with the laws of nature and nature's God. That's in the first paragraph. Uh, Then there's unalienable rights. 
come not from government, but from our creator. That's in paragraph two. It, is, it appeals to the supreme judge of the world. That's in the last paragraph. And then it invokes the protection. All 56 signatures invoke the protection of divine providence, and they pledge their lives and their fortunes for this sacred honor. And then Congress, believe it or not, actually after the Declaration of Independence was uh, penned, they instructed churches to read the Declaration of Independence from the steps of the church so that their people would be informed uh, about what's happening. And, and churches were demanded by Congress to read those declarations. That's how news was dispersed before social media. People actually came to church in that day and they stood on the steps and told the people and they were informed. And they made biblical decisions based on being informed. It was pastors that led the charge in the American Revolution. If you know your history, I've been studying up on my history, so I'm armed and loaded today. Okay? It was pastors who led the charge in the American Revolution to sever ties with Great Britain because of the oppression and the tyranny of the government in particular, the oppression and tyranny of religious freedom. Pastors like Jonas Clark, he formed the Minutemen Militia in Lexington with 70 men from his congregation who fought against and defeated 700 British who marched against them in the first battle, uh, the Battle of Lexington of the Revolutionary War, April 19, 1775. And then when the British were defeated in Lexington, they moved on to Concord where they met William Emerson. He was a pastor of a church there. He was the grandfather of the great Ralph Waldo Emerson who summoned 300 of his men to fight against the British in Concord. 300 men out of his church. Pastors like John Mullenberg uh, from Woodstock, Virginia on January 21st, 1776. Mullenberg preached a message to his congregation from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You know the one about uh, there's a time for everything under the sun, a time to laugh, a time to, time to dance, a time to mourn, all that. He preached that message. And, and when he got it to Ecclesi Ecclesiastes 3.8, um, which talks about a time for peace and a time for war, he looked at his congregation and said, this is no longer a time for peace. This is the time for war. And he removed his black clergy robe and he took his collar off and he walked to the back of the church and said, who's going to join me? And 300 of his men out of his congregation got up and they formed the 8th Virginia Brigade in the Revolution War in the Continental Army. That's how this revolution pastors led the, church, led the charge for this. There was pastors leading the charge. Before James Madison became president, he was uh, running for the first Congress in 1789, and he met with some Baptists in Richmond. Um, those Baptists sat down. They had a little, they called a little convention. I guess that was the first Baptist convention. I'm not sure. Um, but they called a convention, and, and they sat down with James Madison and said, Listen, Madison, uh, you're not going to get our votes unless you change your Federalist views. And those church members encouraged Madison to write the Bill of Rights and, and, and include in that the First Amendment, religious freedom. And James Madison took their advice, and he went and wrote the Bill of Rights and included, in the, first, included the First Amendment, which is religious freedom. And in that same year, 1789, he was elected to the, by, in, through Virginia to the first Congress of the United States. 
pastors and Christians have been involved in government and politics since the beginning of our, of our country. George Washington's farewell address in 1796, he said, religion and morality are indispensable supports of our political prosperity. So let me ask you, church, what went wrong? What went wrong? Why are so many pulpits and pews silent today? Why is there so much tyranny by the federal and state governments over the churches today? Why are they silencing the churches? Well, pastor, you know, what about church and separation of church and state? No, I'm glad you guys asked. Did anybody wonder about that? Anybody? I'm glad you asked because we're going to go there. The phrase separation of church and state appears nowhere in the founding documents. I don't know if y'all know that or not. Some of y'all are nodding your heads like you're smarter than history. I mean, you probably are because I had to research. I had to study. Um, I wasn't good in history. But separation of church and state is not found in the Declaration of Independence. It's not found in the Constitution. It's not found in the Bill of Rights. Not a zip nowhere. So where did it come from? Separation of church and state. 1802, Thomas Jefferson was president, and he wrote a personal letter. He penned a personal letter to some folks. Um, um, it was the Danbury Baptist Association. Is in Baptist again. <laughs> Love my Baptist friends. Um, and it was in Danbury, Connecticut. And they wrote a letter to President uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, about the First Amendment, and they wanted clarification about the First Amendment. So Jefferson in 1802 wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptists and said to them, hey, I quote, don't worry, the First Amendment is in place in order to protect you from any government intrusion or overreach. That's what he wrote. And in that letter, Jefferson wrote the phrase, we've done this to build a wall of separation of church and state. So 150 years later, and Jefferson's letter has been twisted, the facts have been twisted, and it's been taken out of context, and, and to, to remove God from the public square, to remove God from our schools, to remove God from our federal institutions, and remove the commandments from courthouses, they've twisted that and they've used it uh, to remove church and God from any government influence, when in fact the matter is that letter was penned, the First Amendment was written, not to keep church out of the government, to keep government out of the church. And you need to understand that. And if you don't think it's real, why did the state police go and, and, and raid a church service yesterday in Clovis, New Mexico and write out citations? They didn't write any, but they walked in and they stopped the service and walked in and, and went and checked everybody to make sure they're wearing masks. That's 30 miles away. So you understand my indignation today. <laughs> you understand what's going on. We need to wake up, church. This is not a game. Church is not a game. This is the, we need to understand what's happening in our nation, the evil forces that's behind this. It's no longer about a Democrat or a Republican. You, you might as well get that out of your heads. Those platforms have left the, they've left the building. <laughs> Okay, I talked to you three weeks ago. I drove into this hard. This is good versus evil. And stop. we got to stop blowing this off because it's inconvenient or I don't want to hear about it. We need to understand what's happening when they tell churches you can't meet on Sunday mornings. Who are they to tell us we can't meet? We're here to tell you you can't tell us when we can meet. 
That's what we're here for. We're, we're, you're, you're not supposed to come into the churches. You're, the First Amendment is there. We have religious freedom. We can do this whenever we want. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> They're not going to shut us down. And, and I know, listen, it, listen, we need to understand who it is that's telling you that you can't meet on Sunday mornings. It is an evil, liberal, progressive agenda. That's what it is. 2020 has been, it's been a difficult year. You know, we all thought 2020 is going to be great. <laughs> I mean, we've had a global pandemic, pandemic. We've had racial relation riots. We've had defunding the police, Black Lives Matter, cancel culture, whatever that is, the woke culture, whatever that is. Maybe y'all are more educated than I am. I just, I don't see it, but... We've had a contentious presidential race. We're still having one. We're in the middle of one. We've had two contentious Supreme Court fights, battles, bloodbaths. And the truth is, politics and presidents will not change the hearts of people. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so, as Christians, we need to see everything, folks. You need, everybody say everything. We need to see everything through the lens of the Bible when it comes to these social injustices and these social issues and, and political candidates. We, we, you understand that as a Christian, this is your filter. This is, you are called to live by the standards and the morals of the word of God and the principalities and the precepts of this thing. That is your mandate. You are an ambassador. If you want to wear the name, I am a son of the king of the most high God, this is your book for life right here. Do you all get that? Because if not, it, nothing's going to make sense going forward from here. We, we, we need to understand everything is filtered through that Bible. And as Christians, we see through the lens of the Bible when it comes to identifying problems of the culture and then how to find solutions to those problems. God tells us through Paul in, in, in Romans chapter 13. He says the purpose of government is basically, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, he says to cultivate the good and punish the evil. So Romans 13, God ordains rulers and leaders. So that might be, you can interpret that, may be a king, presidents, prime ministers, uh, federal governments, governors, whatever. The, the, the Bible says the person is ordained to be instruments of God's righteousness. The people that you elect are supposed to be instruments of God's righteousness. Romans 13, 4, let's read it. The ruler is God's minister to you for good. Not for good, for like forever, for good. <laughs> but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So in other words, God's intent for the government is twofold. To cultivate the good and punish the evil in society. Government is not the Savior, Jesus is. Y'all get that? Jesus Christ is our Savior. But government is in place to cultivate the good and punish the evil to help maintain a prosperous and orderly society. So let, let me just go out here and say this. Even defunding the police is non-biblical. Because those, order, those things were put in place to cultivate the good and, and punish the evil. Uh, and, and I look, I told them this morning, I know that there's bad police officers and there are good police officers. More good police officers than there are bad police officers. There's bad preachers and there's good preachers. There's more good preachers than there are bad preachers. There's good politicians and bad politicians. There's more bad politicians than there are good politicians. <laughs> right? 
So when we have the opportunity in our land, in our great state, in our great country to vote in this free country as Christians, as ambassadors from the kingdom of God, from the kingdom of heaven, we have to choose leaders. We have to stand up. We have to vote. To not to vote is to stay silent, and that is evil. We have to stand up and vote, and we have to vote for men and women and principalities and policies and issues through the lens of the Bible and 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 cult that and we have to put the mandate on those candidates that you're going to cultivate good and punish evil uh, through the lens of the Bible. It's our responsibility and it's our privilege to put those in place. And, and when we're voting, we're voting for policies and procedures that will give a mandate to the government saying this is the way we want it done. And this and because I voted this way, this is how I want it. This is how I want you to conduct yourself regarding policies and procedures to cultivate the good and punish the evil in our land. It's about policies and procedures. It's not about personalities. Y'all get that? I, I, this president presidential race is not about personalities. So you need to, I mean, like really get over it. Okay, Joe Biden looks like your grandpa that takes you to get ice cream in the third grade. I get that. You know, he looks like a sweet man and everything. And, 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 you know, and, and Trump, literally, he looks like the guy that uh, in the eighth grade that bullies all the sixth graders and puts the tag on the back that says, kick me, you know, and he kicks every. I get it. <laughs> He's a, he kind of got a bully personality. But if, we're, if it were solely based on personality... Look, I'd probably vote for Biden. He's a little more mild-mannered. You know what I'm saying? I probably wouldn't because I kind of like that fiery kind of guy. But um, Trump can be a jerk. I'm not going to hold anything back. Uh, that's why everybody needs to hear this. It would be awesome if we had both. It would be awesome if we had righteous policies and procedures and righteous personalities. But that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen until the millennial kingdom of Jesus reigns. <laughs> you all understand that? But it's coming, so wait for it. Um, but in the meantime, when there's a choice between policies and procedures and personalities, I'm going to choose policies and procedures every single time. Policies and procedures that are filtered through the authority of God's word. That's how I'm going to vote because that's my mandate as an ambassador from the kingdom of heaven. That's a mandate from the guy that I represent, my king. And a nation will fall, rise and fall on policies of a king. A nation will not rise and fall on the personalities of a king. So look around. Think about the issues that are facing our culture right now. Look around at the issues of today. Because we're going to get into this. Are y'all ready? Y'all better buckle up, okay? We're even going to vote today. So don't go to sleep on me, okay? Look around at the issues. What policies and procedures that are put forth today between two main parties in America will accomplish God's purpose in government? That's our question today. What policies and procedures and issues that are put forth by two major platforms, two major, major parties in America, will accomplish God's person in government? Which is, their purpose in government is to cultivate good and punish evil. We've established that. We have to ask ourselves, how can we do our best to look at these policies and procedures separated from a personality contest 
and recognize what policies and procedures best come close to represent our convictions, our biblical convictions under the authority of God's word. So what is a biblical worldview? With a biblical worldview, in order for our government to advance good, we have to keep that in mind. The, 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 the deal is we want them, our government to advance the good and punish the evil. So what are some issues on the table? Y'all ready for this? Okay. I've asked every black American, African American that I know, got lots of friends, and I've asked them, what's your opinion on Black Lives Matter? Everyone I know, I personally know, has disavowed Black Lives Matter as an organization. They have. They don't want any part of it. And as a Christian, I look through the Bible and I look through the Word of God, I look at everything, their organization, all organizations, through the lens of the Bible. And when I do that, and you, it's no-brainer. We can all see all lives matter. It doesn't matter what color, red, yellow, black, white, brown, whatever color you're, you know, tan, purple, I don't know. Uh, all lives matter. Can somebody say amen? amen? So if black lives mattered, if they really mattered, if black lives really mattered to that organization, if the professional athletes in America were really concerned about black lives, they would turn their attention and their protesting and their kneeling and to shutting down every planned parenthood clinic in America. Okay? Because planned parenthood was founded by an avowed racist named Margaret Sanger. Y'all go look up my research. Y'all can have a, have a heyday with it. I had to look it all up too. Margaret Sanger wrote a letter to Clarence Gamble <clears throat> excuse me, on December 10th, 1939, and said this, and I quote her. She said, we do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. So here's where you start engaging in biblical worldview, evalu evaluating political parties and political platforms. What political party is all about the funding of Planned Parenthood? Which political party is all about abortion on demand? Which political party has exterminated 18 million precious black babies alone in the United States of America? Think about it. Wake up. What political party is embracing Black Lives Matter as an organization that was founded on an admitted Marxist ideology. I ain't even got time to talk about Marxist ideology. Go look it up. Black Lives Matter has called for the dissolution of the nuclear family and for the advancement of transgender rights. And what's crazy is most black Americans, uh, African Americans that I know are socially conservative. And, and even if they're Democrat, they're socially conservative. And so in other words, the ideology of black lives, the Black Lives Matter movement, does not even represent the very people that they're supposed to care about. It's hypocrisy. And it's evil. So many people just listen to mainstream media, and they form their opinions based on mainstream media alone, and they have no idea what a political platform represents. So we have to dig down, and we have to see what these parties believe. 
We have to, what are these candidates standing on? What, in terms of a platform, what do they believe deep down inside? What are they, what are they really standing for? So today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, we're going to use, we're going to take five, five issues, just out of many issues. Um, first of all, you can go to your app, and you can go to Sunday Experience, and go, there's a voter prayer guide, click on that, this form, professional form will pop up, and you can go to the contents two-page version, and everything I'm about to read, you can read it right there, Okay. I'm not making any of this up. This is not me. I'm just reading what's out there. I'm doing my research. So we're going to take five platforms, and we're going to discuss them. I'm going to ask you to vote on which one you want to vote for, which one you think appeals to your biblical views. We're going to filter this through the Bible. And so I want you to tell me what aligns most with your biblical worldview. Here we go. The first one is religious freedom. Pop that up on the screen. This party said this. We value the right of America's religious leaders to preach and Americans to speak freely according to their faith. We believe the federal government, specifically the IRS, is constitutionally prohibited from policing or censoring speech based on religious convictions or beliefs. We pledge to defend the religious beliefs and the rights of, uh, of conscience of all Americans and to safeguard religious institutions against government control. The next party said this on the same issue. We celebrate Americans' history of religious pluralism and, and tolerance and recognize the countless acts of service of our faith communities, as well as the paramount importance of maintaining the separation of church and state enshrined in our Constitution. That is a lie from hell. Which platform would you filter? Which one of those platforms would you vote for if it was based on biblical moral values? Which one? One or two? Shout it out. Okay, the second one is the Democratic platform. Church and state is nowhere in the Constitution. The second one, marriage and sexuality. These are in no particular order, so don't out, try to outguess me. They're gonna, they're, I mixed them up. So this party said this on marriage and sexuality. We will fight to end... We will fight to enact the Equality Act. We will work to ensure LGBTQ people are not discriminated against when seeking to adopt or foster children. We will protect LGBTQ plus children from bullying and assault and guarantee transgender students access to facilities based on their gender identity. We will ensure that all transgender and non-binary people can procure official government identification documents that accurately reflect their gender identity. The other platform said this on the same issue. Foremost among those institutions in the American family, it is the foundation of civil society and the cornerstone of the family is natural marriage, the union of one man and one woman. We oppose the imposition of a social culture revolution upon the American people who wrongly redefining sex discrimination, reshaping our entire society to fit the mold of an ideology alien to Americans' history and traditions. Now, which one represents your biblical worldview, one or two? Okay. You all understand that when you read the Bible, that same-sex marriage outside the boundaries of how God defines it, 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 it is, you know, God defines marriage between a man and a woman. Okay? <laughs> There's no gray area. That's how God defines marriage. And if you're going to filter everything you do and you're going to filter your life through the lens of the Bible, uh, um, the sanctity of marriage is between a woman and a man. 
And I drilled down in this three weeks ago. Go read the, go look on YouTube, good versus evil. Go, go, go. You, you'll understand where I'm coming from. I understand people have people close to them that are participating in the gay lifestyle. But listen, it doesn't neglect what the, negate what the Bible says about the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. You know? Sleeping around on your, on your wife is, is no different from, you know, the gay lifestyle. Outside of sex, outside of the marriage between a man and a woman is outside the boundaries of the Bible. It's just that. Y'all understand where I'm coming from? It's not hate. It's just the Bible. That's what I'm called to represent is the Bible. The vice president candidate on the Democratic ticket. Uh, uh, as attorney general of, the, uh, of California, she was one of the first persons to, 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 to have, perform a same-sex marriage in California. This is her ideology. This is what she's bringing to the White House. Joe Biden, in a town hall forum just the other night on TV, said this, and I quote, he said, I believe it's perfectly acceptable for an 8- to 10-year-old children to define their own sexuality. That means it's, uh, my, my, my grandson, who's 8, he can define whether he wants to be a boy or a girl or something in between. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Have we lost our minds? How about the whole agenda of the drag queen story hour? Some of y'all are like, what? <laughs> y'all been reading up on this? It's hitting public schools where drag queens are invited into the read storybooks to elementary age children in public schools. That's what's happening in America. And I, I'm, I'm just, I don't make any apologies for what I'm saying today. I, I really don't. I know I run the risk. People out there, I can feel the emails coming. It's okay. The liberal progressive platform is demonically driven and it's evil. And some people are still, who call themselves Christians, are still going to vote for it. That's why my, I'm sounding the trumpet. <laughs> That's why pastors across America are sounding the trumpet today. And it, it, just to be fair to the Democratic platform, listen, I, listen. I'm going to talk more about it here in just a minute, so hang with me, especially if you're online. Under the Bill Clinton administration, Congress passed the Defense of Marriage Act. Uh, Clinton signed it into law and, and defined marriage for the federal purposes as between one man and one woman. And so, but in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court, do you see why it's so important to put uh, uh, Supreme Court justices on the court for a lifetime appointment that represent our biblical values? Because in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that act, Defense of Marriage Act, unconstitutional and threw it out after Bill Clinton signed it into law. Let's move on. Let's talk about economy because it's going to even get heavier. One party said this. Government cannot create prosperity through government. Government cannot create prosperity, though government can limit or destroy it. Prosperity is the product of self-discipline, enterprise, saving, and investing by individuals, but it's not an end in itself. The other party said this. We will forge a new social and economic contract with the American people. A contract that creates millions of new jobs and promotes shared prosperity. Which one of those slides represents your biblical worldview? One or two? Okay? Listen, don't be fooled by the mainstream media. Don't be fooled by those buzzwords like shared prosperity. That's socialism. 
That's all it is, socialism. And for, for the millennials that are hitting here, you're 30 and under right in there, the Generation Xers, the Generation Zers, who are enthralled with the ideal of everything's free, tuition's free, healthcare's free, everything's free. Let me tell you something. Don't be blinded and don't be ignorant because you will pay for it. You will pay for it. Guess who's going to pay for all that free stuff? You. They will, the government will give you all the free stuff, and then they'll jack up your taxes and make you pay taxes, and, and, they'll, and so they'll get you to the point where you can't afford anything anymore, and, and you'll be more dependent on government, and you'll be standing in soup lines and, and, and trying to find your next meal because the government will own you through socialism. And you'll be begging for soup in soup kitchens. Watch it. The Bible doesn't teach socialism at all. It's unbiblical. You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches hard work and you'll be rewarded. Work hard and you'll be rewarded. Honest day work for an honest day wages. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we should be mindful of the poor among us. Because if we're kind to the poor, we'll be rewarded for that as well. But redistribution of wealth, and, and, and that's unbiblical. Socialism is unbiblical. Proverbs 13.4 says, those who work hard will prosper. Proverbs 22.9 says, uh, he who, is gen- who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives uh, of his bread to the poor. So if you're prosperous and you're working hard and you're making money, that's cool. That's, that's the American dream. Take care of the poor along the way. Help those that aren't so fortunate along the way. That's what the Bible teaches. That is the combination that works in America. And and that's the way America was founded. That's the way our founding forefathers, that's the way they instituted America. That's the way they crafted America. That is our foundation right there. That is God's design. It's not redistribution, redistributing, redistributing, that's a tough word, redistributing wealth. It's hard work and being mindful of the poor. Uh, um, about a month ago or so, I read, a, I read, a, I just reading stuff, I read a, a, a little excerpt from a, a guy from Venezuela. And, and this, is, this is recent. This is not like 30 years ago or something. Folks, this is in the last decade, okay? He said, I quote, he said, I come from the country of Venezuela where the church did not get involved in politics and the result, the result was evil took power. He said, if the church does not speak the truth, nobody will. Wake up, beloved America. Look, the trumpet's sounding, man. The warning signs are going off in America right now. Socialism and government overreach is what ruined the country of Venezuela. Go look at, the, go look at countries that have jumped into socialism and see what happened. See their demise. Okay? Being educated with biblical values is how we can make sure that this doesn't happen in America again. Amen? Let's talk about Israel for a minute. Israel. That's important to evangelical Christians. Is the country of Israel. Because so goes Israel, so goes everybody else. Do you guys understand that? Israel is God's chosen people. One platform said this. We recognize the the worth of every Israeli and every Palestinian. That's why we will work to help bring an end to the conflict that has brought so much pain to many. We support a negotiated two-state solution that ensures ensures 
Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state with recognized borders and upholds the rights of Palestinians to live in a freedom and security of a viable state of their own. The other platform said this, Beyond our mutual strategic interest, Israel is likewise an exceptional country that shares our most essential values. It is the only country in the Middle East where freedom of speech and freedom of religion are found. Therefore, support for Israel is an expression of, an American, of Americanism. And it is the responsibility of our government to advance policies that reflect America's strong desire for relationship with no daylight between America and Israel. Our party is proud to stand with Israel now and always. Which platform would you vote on based on political, biblical worldviews? One or two? Shout it out. It's one or two. Make sure I could hear you guys. So the basic difference is that Democrats here in Israel, they believe in a two-state solution for Israel. And Republicans believe in giving Israel the land that they rightly deserve that was theirs in the beginning and the borders that they've been entrusted to. Listen, God has already established borders that are much bigger than the present country than they're living in right now. Y'all understand that? <laughs> and so, so the hope is that Palestine, the Palestinians would be able to live peacefully within the nation of Israel and that, as they once did prior to 1947. But it's not going to happen as long as uh, the Muslim uh, terrorist groups, Hezbollah and Hamas, are, are, are launching rockets into, into Israel. That, you know, there, there's never going to be peace in that. That's why Muslims want to infiltrate the American government because they want to take their hand. They want America to turn their back on Israel because when we, listen to me, when we, take our, when we turn our back on Israel it's going to go bad for us because God's hand has been up on America. We've been a blessed nation for many, many years, and our hand has been, God's hand's been on America because we've supported and we've defended Israel, and we've not let any daylight come between us, and we've stood with them. But the moment we turn our back on Israel, God's hand is going to be removed from America. Every country that has went after Israel, it goes bad for them. Just go look in the Bible. <laughs> it goes really bad for them. And that's why Muslims, they want to infiltrate the American government system. And with the current president, you're seeing all these little peace agreements happening in the Middle East. Y'all understand the course of history is being changed. These, there's a new peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, uh, the UAE. Uh, uh, he's brought a peace deal with them. He's brought a peace deal with Israel and Baran. Uh, um, and there's another one in the works right now. Uh, you won't hear about this on the mainstream media because they're not going to tell you about this because he's, uh, these are, these are history-changing, prophetic-changing I don't know what you want to call them, peace agreements that are happening before our eyes. And our president is institutional. He's, he's, he's creating these things. The current president in regards to Israel, uh, listen, he's the only one. Four presidents before him have come out of their mouth uh, that they wanted to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. This president is the only one with the backbone to actually do it. He moved the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to the to the Jerusalem, to the capital. And so Israel, the Israeli prime minister, uh, no, he was the Israeli ambassador, Ron Dermer, said that this president is the most pro-Israeli president that has ever existed. Last subject, and we'll move on. 
the subject of life. Again, I talked about this in three weeks ago, good versus evil. The party, this party said this. The Constitution's guarantee that no one can be deprived of life, the Constitution's guarantee is that no one that can be deprived of life, liberty, or property deliberately echoes the Declaration of Independence proclamation that are all endowed by the Creator with the inalienable right to life. Accordingly, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that an unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment's protections apply to children before birth. The other party said, (laughs) watch this, we will appoint U.S. Supreme Court justices, we'll pack the courts, that wasn't in there. We'll, we will appoint U.S. Supreme Court judges and federal judges who will respect and enforce foundational precedents, including Roe versus Wade. Uh, we believe every woman should be able to access high-quality productive health care services, including safe and legal abortions. We oppose and will fight and overturn federal and state laws that create barriers uh, to women's reproductive health and rights. And so which slide represents your biblical worldviews, not your opinions? Okay. Thank you. Slide one was a Republican platform. Okay? It's a no-brainer here. If you live your life according to the Bible, all life is precious. That's just the way it is. What about the white woman's right to choose? Do you have a right to choose before you conceive? (laughs) You can make a choice then. Choose then. Choose life then. And, and, and so it's, you know, when we start sinning, that's where everything goes askew. <laughs> you understand? And, and so it's a no-brainer. And, and Trump is one, this president. And listen, I'm not standing up here advocating for Trump. I'm advocating for a biblical worldview. You understand what I'm saying? I, I'm not politicking and stumping for Trump. I'm, I'm politicking. I'm, I'm trying to get you to see all these issues through a biblical worldview. He's the most uh, pro-life president that America's ever seen. He's the only president to actually march in the March for Life at Washington, D.C. No other president actually marched. He did. If y'all want to come, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it'll make y'all feel better because they're going to come. So, um. let, let, me, let me tell you something from my heart right now because I, I, I get this. I get this. The Democratic Party, I'm not here, you know, and I'm not standing, standing up here saying the Republican Party are a bunch of saints. That's not, you got to know my heart up here. The Democratic Party has changed over the years. I mean, a lot. It's not the conservative party. I've had conversations with some of the older generations. It's not the conservative party that your grandparents voted for in the 60s and 70s. It's not the same platform. The Democratic Party is now, it's the progressive party of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Rashid, I don't even know how to pronounce their names, and Bernie Sanders, feel the burn, socialism, that's, all, that's what he hangs his hat on, and Elizabeth Warren, it, that's, it's, their, it's this socialist, liberal, progressive agenda that's been hijacked. I say that because many people I know are Democrats. People I love are Democrats, but this is the truth. If you're a lifelong Democrat, your party's left the building. You understand what I'm saying? It left the building a long time ago. There was a time not so long ago when I was growing up and my mom and dad, you know, Democrats and stuff like that. There was a time not so long ago when the Democrats and Republicans was like a marriage. 
It was kind of like a marriage relationship, a man and a woman. And they had different approaches, different perspectives, but they all shared one common goal and vision for life. And you could actually learn from each other and you could bring balance and balance each other out, but it's not like that anymore. It's just not like that anymore. We have a very liberal, progressive agenda that's influenced by the spiritual forces of evil. That's what we've got going on. And, and, and if Christians just stand by and let this happen, it'll be the demise of America as we know it in just a few short years. I mean, I think about, you know, I've had this conversation with my son, and he's like, 2020 and everything has happened, and he's like, why is this happening to my generation? I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to be a grandpa. He says, why is all this crumbling on our watch? Why is this? Listen, young people, seniors, college kids, it's time to stand up and take back America. The, the, the America that you enjoyed as kids and as children, it's, your voice is the voice of America right now. It's time for you guys to stand up and quit being, quit being silent about your faith and silent about everything that's going on. Get involved and let your voice be heard. Because you're the next generation. You're the ones that's taking this thing over. But I'm going to stand in the gap with you. And let me just say this. Stop being influenced by Trump's tweets and his unfiltered lifestyle and his checkered past. He's not going to win a Mr. Congeniality contest. He's not. (laughs) You have to look beyond that and know that we have a lion, an evil lion that's roaring around. The Bible talks about looking to somebody to devour, but he's not looking for somebody to devour. He's looking for a nation to devour. That's what's happening. This election is not about Democrats and Republicans. It's about guardians of what is true and what is right in our day. And we need to be concerned about it. It's good versus evil. I said that. Donald Trump is not our Savior. Joe Biden's not our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, as for me and my house... As for me and my house, as for me and my house, I cannot and will not vote for a candidate whose party platform advocates the murder of unborn babies, same-sex marriage, transgender behavior, and ignores the word of God in our culture. That's where I stand. That's where your pastor stands. I said it publicly. And listen, if you in good conscience can't vote for Donald Trump, don't. Don't. But I don't know how in good conscience a Christian can vote for agenda of evil. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteous exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproof to any people. Stand with me. Let's pray.